0: Samuel for Easter Sunday, we took a pause last week and we talked about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is fitting before that on Palm Sunday, we were in first Samuel chapter eight and we uh, looked at chapter eight and the, the message was give us a king. The Israelites had requested a king uh, requested God to give them a king like all the other nations. So that he could govern them and and fight their battles for them. Y'all remember that? So they they requested something that in the Old Testament, in, in the law, in Deuteronomy 17, there was provision for. God gave some instructions for when Israel does have a king. So there was this anticipation that there would be a king at some point. Okay, But ultimately, God was Israel's king. God wanted to reign, and he did reign in the lives of his people. But what, what happened was, God says, You guys have rejected me as your king. So the why behind the what was the issue. Not so much that they, 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 they wanted a king, but that they were rejecting God, Yahweh, as their, their king to fight their battles. To fight their battles. And they wanted to be like the other nations. And so Samuel, Samuel uh, that, that, that grieved Samuel, the prophet Samuel, because God had raised up judges and God raised up a prophet. We had the first prophet and first Samuel. Uh, we, we see the story of God raising up somebody who hears from God and declares God's word. And now we're at a pivotal time in the history of Israel where God gives Israel their very first king. He gives them what they ask for. They ask for a king and and God God tells Yahweh, okay, just just give them what they're asking for. But let them know, let them know that, that there will be some challenges. There will be some pains that will be accompanied by having an earthly king. Okay? And so 1 Samuel chapter 9 starting in verse 1. I've titled this message... The Rise of a King. We're going to look at chapter 9 and we're going to kind of summarize chapter 10 and chapter 11. If you all would pray with me and we'll read the text. Father, thank you for your people here this morning and your word to instruct us, to guide us, and your spirit to teach us and lead us. We invite you to come and have your way in our lives. We want your reign in our lives. Keep us from looking to anything or anyone other than you as our ultimate source of deliverance, provision, protection, happiness, and meaning in this life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, if you all would stand with me for the reading of the word. 1 Samuel starting, uh, 9, starting in verse 1. There was a man of Benjamin, whose name was Kish, the son of Abel, the son of Zeor, the son of Bikorath, the son of Apiah, and a Benjam- Benjaminite, a man of wealth. He had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. For his shoulders from his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, Take one of your young men with you and arise and go and look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim. And he passed through the land of Shalishah, but they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shalim, but, the, but they were not there. And they passed through the land of Benjamin, and they did not find them. And when they came to the land of Zubh, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about me. And he said to him, Behold, there is a man of God in this city. He, a, he is a man who is held in honor and all his ways, and all that he says comes true. So now let us go up there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, But if we go, what can we bring the man? For the, for the bread in our sacks is gone, and there is no present to bring the man of God. What do we have? The servant answers Saul again, Here, I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, a man went to inquire of God. For when a man went to inquire of God, he said, come, let us go see the seer. For today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And Saul said to his servant, well said, come, let us go. And so they went up to the city where the man of God was, and they went up the hill to the city and they met a young and they met young women coming out to draw water and said to them is there is there the seer here is the seer here they answered he is behold he is just ahead of you hurry he, he has come just now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place and as soon as you enter the city you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat for the people will not eat till he comes since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now go up, for you will meet him immediately. So when, he, when they went up to the city, they were entering the city, and they saw Samuel coming toward, him, coming toward them on his way up to the high place. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow, about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin." And you will anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. I have seen my people because their cry has come up to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. This is the word of the Lord you may be seated so here's our big idea this morning namely that God is committed to leading his people and he providentially guides and provides for them even when they reject him god is committed to leading his people and he providentially guides and provides for them even when they reject him. So, first of all, let's just start with Saul. So we are told that Israel asked for a king. And the very next chapter, after God says, give them what they're asking for, we're introduced to this man named Saul. He was a Benjaminite. He was wealthy, came from a wealthy family. And he was a handsome man. One of the most Good-looking men in Israel. If he was here in our day, they would try to get him to be a model on maybe Gap or Old Navy or something. He'd model some clothes. He was, he was a tall, good-looking man. Now, I think this is interesting that God chooses somebody who looks so good, right? Because we, we, we do see that God uses all kinds of people. But God seems to specialize in using lowly folks. Folks who aren't so impressive, right? But here we see him using a a handsome man, a tall man. And and so we got Saul who comes on the scene. And and Saul's name means, by the way, it means asked for or requested. His name means asked for or requested. Israel asked for a king, and God provides them with a king. Okay? Okay. So, what we see in the story is we see that Saul is in search for his father's donkeys. Okay? He's on a mission. It's just day to day, typical day. The donkeys get lost. His dad tells him to go look for them. Him, him and his servant go to look for these donkeys. And they couldn't find the donkeys. Where are the donkeys? They're getting stressed out about the donkeys. Taking a long time here. Okay? And so, Saul's looking for donkeys and he ends up finding a kingdom, if you will. God had something else in mind, something else in store. God was providentially leading Saul to the prophet Samuel because God had heard the cry of his people and God had a plan, a good plan. And God uses imperfect people to fulfill his perfect and good plans for his people. And so that's the first point that I want to make this morning is that God providentially cares for his people. As I read through the story and I was wrestling with these chapters in 1 Samuel, like what what are we going to focus on? There's a lot here and it's, and it's, it's a challenge for me to kind of summarize and condense and just just take some little pieces and, and highlight the things that are going to be most helpful. But these were some verses that stood out to me that I think we should glean from as we're looking at this story. Notice the heart of God and the plan of God and God working here through these verses. It says, Now the day before Saul came, the Lord revealed to Samuel. Okay, He was a prophet who heard from God. He had this intimate relationship with God, the Lord told him, Tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man. Okay? The providence of God. Now, from so- Saul's perspective, he's just looking for donkeys. He's just trying to, to do what he what his dad sent him out to do and find his dad's donkeys. But from God's perspective and, and, and Samuel's perspective, this is a God divine appointment here. Okay? It's not by happenstance. Okay? He says, God prepares Samuel to meet Saul, who would be the new king. He says, for tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. And God used donkeys to send Saul to Samuel. And you shall anoint him to be prince over my people. Now it's interesting, scholars highlight here that It doesn't say you will anoint him to be king, malek, but you shall anoint him to be prince over my people. And he shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. Notice the heart of God. Know the plan of God. God is interested in saving, delivering, protecting, and preserving his people. Okay? He says, for I have seen my people because their cry has come up to me. Notice that it sounds very similar to Exodus chapter two, when the Israelites were oppressed in Egypt and their cry came up to God and God saw, he heard and he knew and he took some action. And here again, we see God working. Though Israel had rejected God, though they had rejected his kingship, his leadership as the one who fights their battles, and they saw him already fight their battles for them in Egypt. God was providing, and God was raising up somebody that he would work through to bring about his deliverance for his people. And he used an imperfect man named Saul. Matthew Henry says this, he says about this, these verses, he says, though God had in his displeasure granted Israel's request for a king, yet he sends them a man to be captain over them to save them out of the hand of the Philistines. He does it listening graciously to their cry. Aren't you glad that God is gracious and He graciously deals with us? Now, He does discipline us. He does address our sin. But He deals with us graciously and patiently. And over and over in the Scripture, we see this cycle of the people of God turning away from God, trying to find their own way without God, trying to make it in their own strength with their own resources. And then they they stray from God. They sin. And in their pain, in their distress, they cry out to God. And God's not just condemningly waiting for them. He's graciously waiting for them. And He responds graciously. Not based on their merit, but based on His grace and His mercy. And this is what He does again here. He grants them their requests. Another commentator says that God speaks... After the manner of men, he needs no cry to come into his ears to tell them, tell him of the woes of the oppressed. Nevertheless, he seems to wait till that cry is raised up, till that appeal is made to him, till the consciousness of utter helplessness sends men to his footstool and a very blessed truth it is. That he sympathizes with the cry of the oppressed. There is much meaning in the simple expression, their cry has come up to me. It denotes a very tender sympathy, a concern for all that they have been suffering and a resolution to interpose on their behalf. God is never impassive nor indifferent to the sorrows and the sufferings of his people. Jesus knows all about our troubles. He sees our pain. He knows our struggle. He cares. He intervenes. He works in and through our difficult times. But, but yes, we must cry out to him in our distress. And God works through that through prayer, through our cry. In First Samuel chapter 12 verse 22, it says, "For the Lord will not forsake his people for His great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Notice the grace in this. Notice the faithfulness and the resolve and the commitment that Yahweh has to continue to be for His people even when His people don't seem to be for Him or trusting in Him. It's amazing mercy and grace, Hesed, that they experience time and time again. And this is God's heart for you and I. And we see it even more clearly in the cross of Jesus Christ. If God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but he gave them gave him up for us all. How will he not graciously give us all things? Who is the one who condemns? It's Christ who justifies, it's Christ who died and is risen. From the dead. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. God is committed to your well being, saints, your good, and his glory being displayed through his dealings and working in your life providentially. And he uses even the hard things, even the difficult things, even the bloopers, the blunders, the failures, even the humiliation. When life just really stinks, it's hard, it's bitter. You just want to throw in the towel. Mm -hmm. And even in those moments, God is using that, giving you his presence, his guidance, his His grace to preserve you and keep you. He will not forsake his people. Amen. Amen. And he uses imperfect people like you and me. And like Saul. Now we do see later on, we know the story, those of us who've read it, we know that Saul had some significant character flaws. And we know that later on, that we, and I'm getting ahead, we know later on God rejects Saul at one point. Because he disobeyed the word of the Lord and rejected the word of the Lord. And God said, I'm going to find a man after my own heart. David. So we're looking forward to that. But nevertheless, at this time, God is working through this man, Saul. And God is giving the people of Israel what they asked for, a king, like the other nations. And so we see in chapter 10 that Samuel anointed Saul as the king. It says that Samuel took a flask of oil and he poured it on his head and he kissed them and said, Has not the Lord appointed you to be prince over his people, Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord and and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And, and this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. Now, this is a a picture of a flask that was from that time period. If you can just imagine Samuel pouring oil on his head and kissing him and anointing him. This was a, a very special moment, a significant moment in the life of King Saul. He was being called into kingship, he was just looking for his dad's donkeys. He's called to be a king, he runs into this prophet. This man of God. And God instructs Samuel to anoint Saul as the new king. The very first king. The very first earthly king that Israel has seen. And so he anoints him. And you know what happens after that? You go down to verse 6. Is the Spirit of God comes upon Saul. Let's read it here. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you. And you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man now when these signs meet you do what your hand finds to do for god is with you then go down before me to gilgal and behold i am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings seven days and you you shall wait until i come to you and show you what to do when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart, and all these things came to pass. Samuel tells uh, Saul about the donkeys that he's gonna that they're gonna be returned. They're fine. Go back home. He gives them details of what's gonna happen. All right, and they happen. And it's just it's assurance to Saul that he was that this was a God thing. That this was a man of God. Who had anointed him and who was speaking to him authoritatively? And so, what we see here is we see that God anointed Saul through Samuel. God anointed him literally with oil, but anointed him to be king, and he enabled him by his spirit for leadership. Now, this is interesting because Saul runs into other uh, prophets who are prophesying, who had the spirit of God, and he. Well, I'll, I'll go ahead and read it here. Then when when they came to to Giba, behold, a group of prophets met him and the spirit of God rushed upon him and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew it previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, what has come over the son of Kish is Saul among the prophets and a man of the place answered. Who is their father? Therefore, Therefore, it became a proverb. Is Saul among the prophets? When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Now, I want to highlight that when God calls a man or woman to a task and to a role, he gives them enablement to accomplish that task or that role by the power of his spirit. He empowers us to do his work will never are we supposed to live the christian life in our own strength we have been given the holy spirit not to just come upon us like he did in the old testament in, in a number of these situations we hear about the spirit of god resting upon people for a task for a role and God did work through imperfect people, weak people, to accomplish great things through them so that He gets the glory. But in the New Testament, we have something even better. We get the Spirit not just to come upon us occasionally. We get the Spirit to live inside of us continuously. That's a part of what it means to be a Christian. Ephesians 1.13 We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And it's the Spirit who enables us as believers to do what God's called us to do. Isn't that encouraging to you? It is to me as I think about my own frailty, my own weakness, my own sense of inadequacy. I need God. I need the power of His Spirit working in my life to will and to do His good pleasure. I know that Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Amen. And so Saul got to experience a little taste of this. And it changed him. And those who knew him got to, uh, said, like, hey, is Saul among the prophets now? Who is this guy? Right? And that should, that should definitely be said of us. When we become believers in Christ, we become new creations in Christ Jesus. And the Spirit of God resides in us, and, and the fruit of the Spirit starts to come forward from our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so God anointed and enabled Saul by the Spirit for leadership. God had a a task for him as king. And a part of that task for him as king was to fight some battles. Because there were some bullies. There were some bullies that were coming against Israel and trying to take out this small nation. Okay, The Philistines being some of them that, that... ammonites okay and so what we see in chapter 11 after Saul is anointed and the spirit comes upon him and he starts prophesying the bullies show up of the ammonites and they want to fight okay it's going down okay and they, they they basically lay down the terms this is what's going to happen you know and 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 Saul hears about it he hears about the threats that that they're bringing and it says that the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words. And his anger was greatly kindled. Okay, And then verse, down to verse 11. The next day Saul put the people in three companies and he came in in the midst of the camp in the morning watch. And he struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered so that not two of them were left together. And so we see God working through this imperfect man to defend his people through battle, through, through war here. And it was a war that they didn't start themselves. They were, they were provoked to war by the Ammonites who were coming at them. And we see the Spirit of God working through him. And then down at the very end of 1 Samuel chapter 11, it says, the, the people said to Samuel, Who is it that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. I appreciate it. Him giving acknowledgement to God working the salvation. Though he was fighting, though the the armies of Israel uh, rose up to fight, he says, God has worked the salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal there and renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord and Gilgal. And they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. So now we we have the shift from a theocracy to a monarchy in Israel. We have this pivotal moment in Israel where now there's a king. Okay? And God in Deuteronomy chapter 17 told the Israelites what that king was to be like. He wasn't he wasn't to function like a king of all the other nations, he wasn't to take a whole bunch of wives, and 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 and, and, and gather up a bunch of war horses, and he, and he wasn't. There were things that he wasn't supposed to do. He was supposed to be a different kind of king. He was the king was supposed to write out the entire law personally, write it out the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, so that he would remember. The words of God and fear God and do what's right. And so the kings in Israel were to be different and distinct in how they were to operate. And here is this new king, Saul. And we as believers, we look forward to another king. We have another king, King Jesus. Saul was externally impressive. 1 Samuel 9, verse 2. But Jesus came without external impressiveness. Isaiah 53, 2. Saul was wealthy, and Jesus became poor. Saul didn't fully obey as he was commanded, as you read 1 Samuel chapter 15. But but Jesus obeyed the Father to the very point of death, and he humbled himself. He said at the end of his life, I have glorified you here on earth. I have finished the work you have given me to do. We have a better king. A perfect king. A righteous king. Saul lost his donkeys. Jesus had his disciples find a donkey for him to ride in Jerusalem with. To fulfill prophecy. Saul was like a king of like a king of the other nations but Jesus' kingdom was not of this world Saul was fearful but not humble and Jesus was humble but not fearful Saul was shy about his anointing, but Jesus preached boldly with his anointing. He said in Luke chapter 4, he quoted Isaiah 61, and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. And we see Jesus going about preaching the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of God. And people were set free. People were healed. People were delivered. People experienced the reign of King Jesus in their life, which meant forgiveness of sins. It meant righteousness and restoration with God, reconciliation with God. It meant peace with God. Righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom of God, Paul says in Romans chapter 14, verse 17. And Saul was a king who died and stayed in the grave, but Jesus rose victorious over death. He fought the great battle against death and defeated death. Oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus paid for our sins, never committed sin, never disobeyed like King Saul ended up doing. And yet he makes us righteous and dying for us. And so let me give us just a couple points of application here. First, be confident that the Lord will guide and provide in your life knowing that He cares more about you than anyone else. Be confident that God will guide and provide in your life, knowing that He cares more about you than anyone else. If God's thinking about us, if God's taking care of us, and He, he thinks of, His thoughts are more than the number of grains of sand of the sea, that should free us up. To not be so anxious and worrying about our own lives. He knows what we need, He knows what's best for us. He's going to care for us. And just as we see God providing a king for Israel to deliver the Israelites from the hand of their enemies, and God used these circumstances to bring about that happening, to anoint King Saul. God works providentially in our lives. It says in Psalm 37, 23, and 24, it says the steps of a man are established by the Lord. Yes. When he delights in his way, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Amen? So all throughout history, we have the scriptures that tell us the redemptive story of God, the work of God in the lives of His people. All throughout history, we see God orchestrating circumstances and bringing about events to to accomplish His good plans and His good purposes, and even taking terrible things and working them together for the good of His people. This is the providence of God. And so we can be confident that he's going to take care of us. I mean, just think about it. I'm sure we all have our stories that we can, we can uh, rehearse and we can tell here this morning about how God showed up. Or there was this one person that showed up and, and God worked through them and spoke through them. Through them or this, this one answered prayer. This one circumstance that happened that protected you or shielded you. Or, or God showed up right on time to provide in some way or another. He's faithful. And He is committed to our well-being. And so be confident in that, church. Rest in that, knowing that He cares more about you than anyone else. The next, ask the Lord to fill you with His Spirit so that you can be fruitful and effective in life. Notice that when, when Saul was anointed as king and God had called him and chose him to step into this weighty task of leading The people of Israel, God gave them his spirit. Okay, And God gives us his spirit to live in us, to dwell in us. And and we are to ask for him to fill us. We are to position ourselves to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When was the last time you asked God to fill you with the Holy Spirit? When was the last time you said, God, fill me with Your spirit. The Bible actually commands us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not just for charismatics. (laughs) All right? We believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5 uh, 18 says, Do not be drunk, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you be filled with the Holy Spirit? This is a passive imperative. It's a command, but it's a command that we can't make happen ourselves. I like to describe it as a sailboat. We can put the sails up, but we can't make the wind blow. We can ask the Spirit of God. We can ask the Father to fill us with His Spirit. And I do this every, every, at least every Sunday. But I I pray this often, (laughs) at least every Sunday before I preach. I'm feeling the weight of speaking God's words to you all here. Because I need the Spirit of God to work through me. I need the power of the Spirit, the direction, the leading, the guiding of the Spirit. Luke 11:13, 13, Jesus said this. He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, we already have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, but we need to be filled. We need to be empowered. We need the Spirit to have His way in our lives. To sanctify us, to change us, to transform us so that we can bear fruit that would bless those around us and bring glory and honor to God. Amen? And so let's do that. I'm going to finish early here and invite the team up. And just, we're going to give some space to sing and ask God to do this very thing. Fill us with His Spirit. And and as we sing and as we, we respond to God, I want you to think about God's providential working in your life. Perhaps there have been some hard things, some difficult things that have come about in your life in this season. Where do you see God's hand? How do you see God's heart towards you through those hard circumstances? Do you feel like he's against you? Do you feel like bitter circumstances equate a God who's mean and unkind? A father who's cruel? You may want to talk to him about that if that's the case. Seek out his heart, because he is 100% for you, church. He's committed to your well-being. And so, Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for sending King Jesus to deliver us out of the hand of the evil one. For sending King Jesus to deliver us from our sins. And we ask God that you would fill our lives with your spirit. That you would empower us and lead us into your way. That we would glorify you. Let your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Can we just pray how Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 6, our Father?